This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All righty, guys. Welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. We've got a heavy hitter for you guys coming at the beginning of the year. And I think the timing of this podcast is going to um, really be impactful for people with the topic that we're going to cover. This is a brand new topic, something that um, us as a team has been has been working on in the background of things that we want to introduce to you guys as a kind of a, a new way of thinking. So you're going to want to follow along. And I'm joined this morning by Mr. Kyle Hedges, Land and Legacy Consultant, and Brady Bradley, Land and Legacy Consultant. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. A little cold. We got a little bit of snow. It's finally feeling like winter around here. Brady, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, Matt. Doing great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the cold weather. It, it definitely starting to feel like winter. You've got a little bit of a cough or a little bit of a sore throat, but I mean, what's oh, winter yeah. without some sickness in the air, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah, and when you have four kids, it's just on and off about every other month. Yeah, I would say more yeah. more on than off, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but no, every other than that, we're all good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, I I really do appreciate you um, appreciate you jumping on and joining us for this. We've all been uh, kind of working through this and, and gathering thoughts and, and whatnot. But before we jump into today's topic, I want to make everyone aware of the opportunity within Vortex Optics to make sure you guys get some new gear and apparel for um, 2024. We are really entering the new year right here, right now. It's, it's upon us. Um, so make sure you use the code LEGACY20 um, for a apparel discount there with that with within vortex optics online they drop new gear every spring and fall great lineup there and then if you are interested in optics you go to euro optics and use the code land 10 to get a 10 percent discount off the optics themselves so make sure you guys are checking out that awesome opportunity with vortex and uh, give them some love and follow along on their social medias as well. They're pumping out a lot of good stuff. And they've got a great podcast, too. If you guys are gun and, uh, enthusiasts, you guys are going to want to follow along on their podcast. But back to today's topic. Guys, we're, we're, we're talking about how to accurately, maybe definitively, evaluate hunting properties and the different levels of management that that exist and this is something that and adam adam couldn't be with us join us the, this morning but um I've, I, I chatted with him a ton about is is as we're creating this i don't want to say not new industry it's not us creating it but as this new if you will industry of of recreational property is really developing um there's not a a really good way to identify where you're at in this process. And, and um, Kyle, 
you're you're I'm gonna I'm gonna hit on you for a second. Um, you're the eldest member here on on the call, so you've got a few more years under your belt, but you've you've seen this wave of 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 um, of management, let's say, change and develop, and and a lot of it probably used to be within the the. Uh, public sector of land management and government agencies, um, but now an, an increased, dramatic increase of uh, private landowners wanting to do their own management and buy properties for that specifically, but there's not a good way to determine where people even stand at in this spectrum of how good is the farm, essentially. What, ha what have you seen in, in your years of management um that that would kind of yield maybe the private public sector kind of comparison there yeah for sure i think you know historically um 30 40 years ago there was certainly some people might buy some land just to hunt it but but that was the extent for the most part right you you just got a piece of land to hunt. It, it wasn't buy a piece of land to trick it out and make it ideal. Um, nobody talked about, you, you bought a piece of land and just learned how the wildlife used that piece of land. You just kind of figured it out over time and, and public land the same way. Obviously we were managing public land. I think the public lands management has been similar all along. Uh, maybe we've, We've adjusted certain species that we target, but public lands, for the most part, has always been targeted at uh, pre-settlement conditions, right? Let's try to maintain the prairie of what it would have been 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Um, let's try to maintain, get woodlands back to the way they were, you know, two or 300 years ago. So that's been the same my whole career, but on the private land side, the, the habitat improvements were basic things, erosion control, um, you know, different, different targeted things for the overall um, condition of the farm rather than targeted specifically at, say, white-tailed deer or turkeys. And that evolution has been drastic in the last few years, the last decade, where people not only are they buying land, hey, I got a farm to hunt. Now it's, I got a farm to hunt and I've got to make it, I lay out right. I've got to make it ideal. Some people are, some people are still just buying land and hey, I got a place to hunt. Um, sometimes it's not working out ideally. And that's where <laughs> we come in. I mean, that's that's what Land and Legacy is all about. People are realizing, man, this, okay, I got a farm to hunt, but I'm not achieving my goals. Um, so this is a whole different way to look at farms and categorize things. What, where's my farm even fit into this? How do I categorize it and get my head wrapped around how, how far off base am I from high quality habitat and also high quality huntable habitat, a hunt strategy. There's, there's two different things, but they mesh together completely when we do plans yeah i think that's a really wonderful breakdown it's like you you could have bought a raw piece and and you start 
start in and you're like, man, there's deer here, there's turkey here. And you start hunting it and um, yeah, you approach it, you hunt it, you hunt it poorly. Um, and then, and then you've got some neighbors that are actively managing. You see smoke in the air every spring and you're like, huh, what are they doing over there? Um, sometimes I've got turkeys. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I've, I've, I've got the flash of a, you know, big framed antler deer on camera during the rut. And other times I don't have anything. Um, you could be, you could be that guy or you could be the other guy in the neighborhood that, that is holding them. And so this, there, there's been naturally as, as the, evolution of land management private land management has dramatically increased a distinction between where farms are at but but yet never a breakdown of where you're at and, and i think one of the biggest things that a landowner can do prior to actually putting active management on the ground and i we we've talked so much on this podcast about man just like just start just begin and that's very important, but I think as a basis for beginning your active management on a farm, now that we've, let's say, developed what we're sharing today, you need to first recognize where you're at, and I would say, more importantly, where you're not at. And so be be very... Um, just I would caution every landowner, let's say listener to just listen and be really critical with your own self of where you're at and where you're not at. When we describe these different levels in which we will come to a farm and see, oh, OK, you're here, you're you're roughly tier one or tier three or tier four, or tier two, whatever you're you're starting out here. Um, because this essentially like consulting wise, this is what we do initially, like right out of the gate, we sit down when we go to a client's place and we have those conversations, we talk, we ask very pointed questions to be able to get the information that we've included here essentially so that internally in our own heads, we're like, okay, well, I know essentially where he's at, what we're about to go and walk and see and what we're not going to go walk and see. Um, therefore, our strategy starts to already develop itself because we've determined where you're at. But there's not that ability, let's say, for a landowner to do that internally for their own purpose if they don't even know what the spectrum is and where they fall at on the spectrum of, of land management, habitat management, all based around hunting strategies. So Brady, you, you've seen, a, you've seen a lot of farms and, and you do a lot of work for us. Um, when it comes to the implementation side of things, like so far in the last year, you've, you've been, you've been heavy focused on that, but the, like you're, you're seeing, you're seeing the farms from, pre-timber harvest, pre-contract crew coming in to do a bunch of work or prescribed fire, this and that. So like, how how would you describe, before we jump into tier one, the need for landowners to be, to, to, to recognize where they're at, let's say, before they start this work? I, you know, I think the whole point of this conversation is, you know, it's a, it's very important for them to realize because the next steps following that 
are very key. I mean, it's easy to, it's easy. I think we get put in a box. I think a lot of landowners say, well, my neighbor, you know, a few farms down, he's doing this. So I think we need to do this on our property. And that's not, Mm. that's not always the best solution. You know, they just kind of compare their property to someone else that may be having success when their property may be 90% open and their, and their neighbor's property is, you know, 50% open, you know, and, and I think it's, those landowners understanding why we're why we're saying this needs to be done or or why you know um sorry i got my words jumbled understanding you know the implementation that needs to be done and why i think i think it's key i think it's very very important that they understand where they are on this on this spectrum and once they once they go ahead go ahead I, once yeah, I was, once they understand that it really clicks yeah yeah i i feel like you can't advance yourself really in, in any walk of life let's say unless you properly understand where you're at and then where you're going so so just as important as um this is to identify where your farm's currently at i want people to think of this as a as a road map for them to be able to move and improve and not just stay stagnant because majority of people want to improve the farm. Like that's why they're listening to this podcast because they realize, hey, there's probably, I could I could make this better. And so when you want to make it better, you have to first say, how much better can I make it? So like, where do I fall at on this spectrum here? And then naturally what's the next move? So um today let let's jump into the different levels of management the spectrum let's 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 showcase what the spectrum is here um the different levels that they are and guys we're going to follow up next week or the week after with how you take it from one level to the next so specifically the the management strategies that we would that we would utilize to recommend to go from one to the other to the other to the other um but right now, first and foremost, let's just recognize where where everyone is, and again, where where you're not at, because I want you to think critically. I want you to be honest with yourself when you hear these things, um, because that's only if, if you're not honest with yourself, you're only going to hurt yourself, or you're going to miss out on um, base foundational principles that your property should have that is not. That, that you know you're you're going to advance yourself beyond the base foundation and you're not building a, a solid foundation as you try and move from one to the other to the other so just let's go through these um guys any other points that you guys Kyle or Brady want to make before before jumping into those uh you know i think we see this a lot on consults uh, with landowners this exact issue where we get there and I mean, sometimes the landowners just like, look, I don't know what I'm doing. They just admit I'm I'm lost. And and it doesn't matter where they're at in these tiers, what stage. But and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, right. Sometimes they're just like, Man, I, I don't I'm not a biologist, I don't get it. Yeah. Help me out. But we get a fair amount of people that do kind of have a plan in their head. And maybe they've been trying to implement it, or maybe they haven't. Maybe, and, and so we do get people lots of times that are just like, "Hey, I I really brought you here because I want to see if I'm on track. I want to see yeah. 
I've been doing some stuff and I just want to see if I'm on track. And in some cases they are on certain things, but they're still, we have, you know, four tiers here. Yeah. Hey, you're doing some good stuff. You're still on tier two, perhaps. <laughs> so, or, or, you know, they, they could still fall out anywhere in this, this hierarchy. So it, we see this quite regular and I think it'll make some more sense where people can be like, oh, okay, I'm I'm in the middle. I am doing some good stuff, but I'm still middle of the road here. I, I got a lot, this farm could go a lot further. Absolutely. No, that, that's 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 good, great points, Kyle. Um so let's let's dive in, guys. Let we're we're gonna classify each stage. Right now we've got four stages developed and potentially in the future, you no, know, we we make a version two and and it um redefines itself naturally but but right now we've got four different tiers tier one two three and four and let's cover the criteria that a tier one farm would fall within um i'm going to read them off and so so those listening either jot these things down um or so i'll do it relatively slow but jot them down so you've got them set in your memory you go back and evaluate where you're at uh, where you're not but the criteria for a farm to fall into tier one on this roadmap of of how to evaluate a hunting property is you have got no distinct bedding areas or structure to influence or hold deer zero or non-influential food plot acres so you may have small kill plots and existing openings, old log landings that are very, very minor, minuscule to the amount of forage produced. Um, the food that you're trying to supplement is not really, it's, it's not changing the forage base and it's barely scratching the surface of steering deer into certain directions because of the size or because of the lack of food plot growth that you may have. Um Thirdly, poorly developed road system. So essentially, you show up, you buy a place, you start utilizing the existing roads because that's what was there and or um, that's what had been created and you just take them for, well, that's that's the road system and you start utilizing it, hunting off of it and not really considering access. Um, another point, you have little to no early successional vegetation present on the property one of those base foundation habitat features that that you have to have and and there's just none present you've got very little diversity on a property um you know it might just be pastures and closed canopy forest or um very unmanaged pastures and you look it'll it may look like there's some early successional vegetation if it is it's hardly represented um fractionally representative of what that old pasture could be and then you go straight into closed canopy timber with this just homogenous as all get out. Um, hunting without the wind, thermal, or access considerations. So believe it or not, we see kind of like the road systems. Like, hey, there was a blind here. There was a stand here. Um, must have been good. I'll just, I'll just pick up where the last guys left off and I'll start hunting here um, because they killed a couple good deer. I saw it in the listing photos, yet you're not really considering or reevaluating 
the wind, the access, really how thermals are going to work in that area. And you, you just, again, you pick up the hunting strategy from the last folks and not reevaluate what it could be, should be. Um, and, and I typically will see this, we typically will see this with new landowners um, and a hunting lease situation um, where they're then limited based on the amount of management that they can do. So trying to incorporate here with this tier one, um, those who can't, those who are limited by, you know, management that, that, that they can do, um, you know, we want to showcase, okay, if you are limited people who, who may be leasing, may be saying, okay, how much better really is land management? Well, generally speaking, if you don't have all those things, um, or, or if, if those, those ring true to you, let's say there's three other tiers here that you're going to fall within. So, um, generally speaking, you're probably just entry level into the management air quote side of things. Um, so that that's tier one, um, no distinct bedding, zero to non-influential food plots, poor road systems, little to no early successional vegetation, um, no hunting strategy. You know, you're not really considering wind, thermals, access. Um, those, those are the key kind of points we would say that's generally speaking a tier one farm. Um, and there's a lot of people that, that will fall into that boat of, of tier one, or at least I would say have aspects of tier one. Maybe they're, maybe they're not at a tier two yet, but they are still doing things that say that, that are very characteristic of a tier one type farm in the spectrum. So Bertie, Kyle, what, what do you guys think after hearing those, seeing those, what points do you have? Yeah, I think a lot of people listening to this are going to say, oh, yep, yep. I had four of those. I had three of those I had, right? Um, and there's some that hit them all. But um, keep in mind, yeah, you may have three or four things out of tier one and three or four things out of tier two. There's some people may have just heard that and they're like, hey, I'm offended. I don't hunt. I think about the wind and access and I hunt pretty smart. And that's great. We're not saying that that you're not if your farm doesn't have these other things. But but if you don't have these habitat features, even if you hunt really smart, the deer movement's unpredictable. Um, it, it still ends up putting you in, okay, maybe you're a tier 1.3 then. <laughs> you, I mean, you may let, be let, a, yeah. 100%, Kyle. Like, and, and, and to put everyone at ease, the, I, I, have, I have a lease right next to my house. I leased it because it's right next to my house. I have private land that I can manage. That's, you know, almost 40 acres, let's say, but then this lease is, is 10 times that size. And, and I would, I would bet you, let's say comparing the lease to the house, the, the lease is a situation where I'd be a 1.5. Okay. In, in, in my own classification of that property. Now I don't hunt it without the winds, thermals and access considerations. Um, I learned something this year that I, that I'm not going to do next year based on access, but so, so I, I can improve myself there. However, the property itself is limiting me 
because it doesn't have distinction of bedding. It doesn't have any food plots. Um, it, and the, the road system, the access is, is very difficult. It doesn't really have any early successional vegetation on it whatsoever. It's very convenient to, to me, but I, I, I'm leasing it. However, if I'm classifying where I fall at in regards to that lease, a hundred percent, I am, I personally am right there at a, at a 1.5. I'm trying my best to hunt it the wisest and the smartest. So I'm concerned the wind thermals and, and access and whatnot, but I can't, it's, it's not an insult to me. That's just where I'm at because, but I'm limited by the habitat. Uh, and, and so, so, you know, just like personal, um, conviction there, that's, that's partly me. That's where I'm falling at right now. I, and I know, and I know I don't want to stay there. Most importantly, <laughs> I think, I think there's a lot of people that fall into that same category, Matt, you know, they, they lease, they lease a good farm, but it's just not, it's just not where they want to see it. But I think one thing. You know, I've seen it with a lot of a lot of individuals at lease and personally. Um, if you talk to that landowner, if you, if you're leasing from a you know from a private landowner, and you explain to them what these benefits would be to the overall habitat, a lot of them would be, you know, kind of open to it. You know, um, mm -hmm. but un unfortunately, you know, if you're down south, or, or you know, you're you're leasing from a timber company or something, it's a little bit a little bit more difficult. But um, I think the there's there's a lot of people that would be willing to work with you, you know if you if you're looking for if you're looking for a uh, you know kind of a kind of a light at the end of the tunnel on a lease property, you know it may be worth talking to the landowner. I've been in the same position as you leasing property, and the landowner you know just doesn't want to do anything at all. I completely understand that it's their property, um, yeah. but I think there are some opportunities out there. Where if you you worked with the landowner, there are some little things, um, little things you could do. I have a buddy that that leases land, and it's predominantly farmland, and the farmers could care less about what happens in his timber. So he's been able to go in there and TSI some of the timber, create bedding areas, burn, explain, and and help that landowner see the benefits of it to the overall landscape of the property where that farmer at one point never, you know, it was just timber. It wasn't making him any money or it wasn't, it wasn't really doing anything. That's just, that's just where the animals live, you know? Um, and now it's made his property overall better just from the little bit of management that, that my buddy's done in there working with him um, just, just over the years. So I think there's, there's something for everyone. If you're in that lease, that lease situation, um, you never know until you ask the landowner. Maybe something they're interested in and they have no clue about. Yeah, I, I see this just very commonly with new landowners, a landowner who just bought a farm. They may be experienced, but they just bought this farm um, and, and, and they haven't started. And they don't know where to begin necessarily. They know it's they know it's relatively a tier one farm, um, but they want to make the improvements. It could be a lease situation. Um yeah, so th those are just absolutely brand spanking new to land ownership in, in general. Never picked up a drip torch or run a chainsaw. Um, that you know, you're probably going to find yourself in in generally a tier one. And and we're not. It's it's interesting. Like this this roadmap thing is is like there's 
there's personal things that like an individual like we're, we're characterizing an individual, but we're also doing it in conjunction with with characterizing um, a farm. Right. So so, you know, a land feature, but also how you use that land at the very same time. So it's, it's interesting. We're not calling people out or stereotyping people, but we have to include both of them because the way that you hunt the place, the way that you utilize it can then impact the value of, you know, structure, security, everything in the way that wildlife are going to utilize it. Um, so all this stuff, you know, the, the, your strategy, your hunting strategy directly impacts the quality of the habitat. Like the, I guess not the quality of the habitat, but the, but the way habitat is going to perform for you, if you will. Um, so, so they go hand in hand, so we have to combine them. Um, anything else guys on, on tier one before we move on? I was just going to follow up with that comment about how you hunt it. So that people are going to hear as you go through these, you know, the hunt strategy change to more mature deer and of course, considering all this and absolutely you can have a, you can have a tier four farm habitat wise, Yeah, but if you hunt it with tier one, <laughs> disregard for winds access you're not going to achieve the success the, you're going to blow deer out of that you're not going to kill five and a half six and a half year old deer or at least not consistent correct you, you know you'll have the miss the accidentals the deer that just got unlucky was chasing the doe and fell for it but anyway mm -hmm. yeah this so this could be a reverse where you can have tricked out habitat and and but be failing or, you know, 14 different people are coming in and, and there's no rules and shoot whatever you want. And there's a lot of one and a half and two and a half year old bucks getting put on the ground. You got tricked out and that's great. It's your farm. But anyway, these can go up and down both the habitat and the, the hunt strategy. Yes. Great point. Yeah. So, so tier two guys, let's move on to tier two, the criteria um, that now is, is in place for a tier two bedding structures present or at least beginning to be installed. So there's, there's sanctuary or secure areas that are least respected and have distinct cover types present. Um, so it's not homogenous, there's structure and there's the, the landowner is respecting the fact that those are present and not, intruding in them, not blowing wind across them. Their access is not, if you will, um, hurting the, the the secure areas on the farm. And they've done some manipulation on it to create those. Um, point two is food plots are present in the bulk of management activity. So you got some perennial plots and some annual plots. You're, you're food plotting um, and that's that's a lot of your management strategy, probably taking the, the bulk of your time um, is, is putting in food plots, managing those, manicuring those. And, and that's a lot of the management strategy that you have. Maybe some minor TSI, um, some timber work could begin to occur, but you're, you're scratching the surface on beyond the bedding thickets and beyond the food plots probably not a lot is happening and you and therefore your hunting strategy another point your hunting strategy involves food plots and the appropriate winds maybe you get downwind of bedding area but you you're you're probably still a little 
anxious to go into your timber, dive in there and, and hunt accordingly. Um, so hunting strategy is, is very food plot heavy because the bulk of your management is in and around the food plot strategy of the farm. And you can see where, you know, you're making the improvements on the food plots. You want to benefit from those food plots and your camera strategy is around those food plots. And you, you just put a lot of emphasis there, but you know, you're targeting an older age class deer. Maybe it's a four-year-old deer with the occasional mishap of, um, you know, a young buck does scream in, like you said, Kyle, and, uh, you know, you accidentally shoot a, a deer that you wish you wouldn't, um, but you're attempting and trying to hold a standard to that, that four-year-old type deer or older, um, the occasional mishap, but likely too in the tier two farm, you're not harvesting enough antlerless deer. You're food heavy and you're seeing the value of the food plots and you love seeing more deer and you're like, wow, this is great. How can it get much better? I got the food plots. I've got a lot of deer coming to the food plots. Um, and you, and you're early into this, to the development of the farm where you're seeing the increase of the frequency of number of deer, but you haven't gotten to the point where you're realizing man, I, I need to start shooting and, and harvesting antlerless deer uh, in the process of this, or, or that, that stage of harvesting antlerless deer really needs to begin here. Um, so you're targeting older deer, occasional mishap, and really not having a strategy on antlerless deer. That's some criteria for, for a tier two farm. And I would I would hazard to guess or say that let's say 70% of people are either a tier one or a tier two farm. So, so halfway through these tiers, we're lumping a vast majority of people together. And, and so I say that because we work with various people on the spectrum of this, of this roadmap, let's say, but you should, you should probably be identified. Let's say if you're listening to this, pod if you're listening to this podcast already you 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 might be falling into tier one or tier two and so i just i say that to be to make sure people are again remembering to be critical of where they're at in this we typically see i'd say 70 percent of people here would, would you agree with that number kyle for sure yep a lot of the the food plot part of tier two is we see that all the time. A lot of people are mostly in tier one with uh, the other habitat types. A lot of places yeah. we go don't have any bedding, don't have any early successional stuff, but maybe they're they're tier two in the food plot arena. They're spent a lot of time on food plots. They're probably tier two in their hunting strategy. Almost all their blinds or setups are on food plots. So yeah, we see really a mix of this. That 1.5 is quite common um, and the bulk of the farms that we go to for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think in today's day and age, today's day and age, you know, everyone seems to have their food plots in place or some type of food plot that they're trying to plan every year. Uh, but their habitat is usually lacking. And unfortunately, you know, that the management side of things seems to be catching on in the, in the hunting world. Um, so they're slowly, slowly working their way towards that tier two. 
do, do you guys agree that that 70% of people would be within tier one to tier two? Higher I'm level? Sure. Yeah. You guys if, if anything, higher. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's a important important note to make there um at the at the point of this podcast because we rarely see <clears throat> an initial let's say inquiry that comes through um or when we get on site to a farm rarely are people beyond this level and and they're they're and and again naturally like that's going to happen because we're getting calls or inquiry because they want to improve it and they don't know necessarily how to improve it. Do we take farms that are like really good and move them from a three to a four or, or try and max out um, a, a four a hundred percent? Like we, we work with those people, but they're few and far between. Usually what we have to do is take people from a, a one, two and move them to a three and a four and, and progress them through this. So, naturally right we're going to say it's heavier skewed to the tier ones to tier two that we begin working with people and we move them through this roadmap um to take them to that next level but but the bulk of people um would, would likely find themselves in a in a tier one to tier two type scenario just right off the bat you're listening to the podcast so so <clears throat> As we move forward with this, perhaps now we're getting to a segment of the podcast where this is where your brain says, this is where I can be, or this is where some of my, my um, strategy needs to begin to evolve into to improve the farm. And again, next week, we're going to really dive into what those strategies are, but consider potentially if you fall into that 70% or higher We've already addressed you. Now think of what's beyond and and in consideration for you down the road. Um, that's going to be really important because if 70 plus percent of you are in a tier one to tier two, you have at least 50 percent more uh, to go and progress within your own property development. Um, and, and, and I would. Ought... <clears throat> I'm going to try and say this. Um, and make it make sense. So you guys jump in and help clarify this. I would say that 70% of people are probably fall within a tier one to tier two realm, but the property management within a tier one to two farm is 25% of the actual improvement that can occur on the farm. That makes sense. So, so seventy percent of people are probably within tier one to tier two, yet the management that has occurred within tier one to tier two is only twenty five percent of the potential of that property. Yeah, hundred percent. Either it's it it's twofold. Either they don't know yeah. how to progress, they don't even know what they need to install sometimes, or they know they've heard all this. They they they've started reading about it. They started listening to it. Man, I I know I need betting tickets. I know I need this stuff, but it's the paralyzation that we run into, right? Analysis paralysis, and so they 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 know it and they know the terms. Yeah. It's the implementation that hasn't happened. They don't even know where to start, and we run into that all the time. Like 
you get there and they're like, well, I made a little bedding cut and it's literally like 22 trees. They, they cut. And then they stopped because they're thinking, oh, I don't know if this is right and in the right spot. And and there is some right spots and wrong spots, mm-hmm. to that, but they kind of panic and bail out and then they make the phone call and, and here we are. So, right. yeah, I, I agree. A lot of times they have the, the want, but they don't understand it or don't have, in some cases like fire, that's a whole different animal where they they don't have the tools or it's just a scary deal. Right? They're like, I, I don't know how to even start with this thing. This is terrifying. And <laughs> they, they got to reach some comfort level to start employing some stuff that'll move you into the next tiers. Definitely. Brady, what are your thoughts there? <clears throat> Excuse me. No, I, I completely agree. I really do. That, that, they have, you know, obviously they're listening. They show some interest in it. Um, but but just like Kyle said, that that knowledge of, hey, where do, do I begin on, on this side of my property or here? A lot, a lot of, I mean, that that's usually from from our standpoint, the big inhibitor a lot of the times. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to say that because just because we're covered the bulk of people, within tier one to tier two does not mean that that the potential is is on the same ratio or scale of that too like the potential of most of these farms are are just at 25 percent if you've done x practices now if you're in a c let's say you're in a neighborhood where there's very little habitat management and you and you're at a tier two farm you're like dude i've i've got some food plots and and i've got a little bit of bedding that i don't really touch and it's and it's secure you're going to feel like you're at a, you're, you're at the pinnacle. Like you're going to probably feel like you're doing a lot and because you're seeing a lot of the deer, but it's, it's, it's your perspective and it's based on the neighborhood that the fact that there's not other food resources that are really comparing to um, what, what it is that you've provided and offered and maybe other people hunt really poorly around you and you keep your farm pretty secure. Then you're like, dude, I, I, I don't think it could get better, but we're here to say you're, you're still at a tier two and really potential wise of that farm, you, you've got a long ways to go to max things out, but what you're feeling and experiencing is relative to your neighborhood because the neighborhood, there's not much competition, let's say from a res- natural resource standpoint and or people are hunting it really poorly and so it makes you feel like you're doing things really, really well. Again, that that's a very common boat, but don't misinterpret where you're at because of maybe what you're experiencing. It is relative to a neighborhood and you might be at a tier two and only 25%, uh, you know, squeezing the juice out of the lemon, you've squeezed 25%. There's a long ways to go. Let's keep progressing it. And don't think that you're at a four when you're really at a two because of your neighborhood. I, I think the actions that happen, and we'll talk next podcast about the management, you know, but obviously it, when we're talking about the missing components here or the existing components, you can guess what some of the management is to get to the next tier. This is where people see the biggest jump, right? And it's because they're at the 25th percentile of the potential of that farm. So when you take a tier one or two and you start employing 
things, you start doing timber work and fire and these these things, that's the most drastic jump. Like when people go, oh my gosh, early successional habitat is all of a sudden starts showing up. Like massive changes to the habitat, which results in massive changes to the deer holding ability and the movement. So they they you can go from a tier two to a tier three and it's literally like you go from that 25th percentile to the 75th percent it's this yeah. massive jump right in this these two couple mid categories um absolute eye-opening that's when people are like whoa okay now i get it um now let's let's put the last bells and whistles on right and and we're we'll get to that at the end of this and I'm glad you said that, Kyle, because like that's the kind of jump, though, that like and, and the whole purpose of this podcast and creating this roadmap is like. If you're if you're new to this, then you don't know what the next step is or how good that next tier is going to be. But we need to like we need to define what these things are, where you might be at, but then tell you what's what's beyond and, and what that that uh, that next stage is going to get you like how good it can get because if not then you might just be content with with tier two because again in your neighborhood you're the best that there is and it feels really really good but imagine and, and like this is a very realistic um scenario is that you you are experiencing 25 percent of what that farm can do but it feels like it's it's operating at, at full throttle and it's not. But when you go from two to a three tier one, I mean, excuse me, tier two to a three, you're going from that 25. And, and I, I'd, I'd agree with you jumping. This is the biggest jump, but a tier two to a tier three, in my opinion, um, on, on this roadmap. But when you go from a two to a three, it, it, it it's, it's night and day. Um, how the how the farm hunts you you're you're up there 70 75 percent of of where that farm can go um in its progression of true recreational value focused in and around whitetails and management this is this is getting super super good very few farms are here a lot can get there and, and this is where I feel like most people are like, you know what? Tier four is a ton of work. Tier three is good. And um, C's get degrees. 75% is pretty darn good. And I think I think a lot of people would be shocked at how well 75% potential or um, really hunts and, and what that can do and, and operate. Because, again, if 70% of people are are within a tier, tier one and two, and that's a 25% potential and they jump to 75%, they're gonna they're gonna feel on top of the world, on top of the world. And that's what is kind of awaiting so many people. And and we just want to showcase that like that is that's that's what's next for for you. And um we can help we can help get you there essentially. Yeah. I'd, I'd... I think we see that a lot. You know, we go to, we go to properties and, and, and I, I know I've said it, Matt, I know I've been with you and you've said it and, and we, we speak to the landowner. We say, you know, you don't have to do much on your farm to stand out 
from from the surrounding landowners. Um, you know, they're all relatively the same. <clears throat> and just by implementing, they may be at that one or two, just by implementing these next steps could could get them to that three. But, but you know, you were kind of hinting to it earlier. Um, they may They may have those food plots in place where none of the neighbors do, and they may think that they're on top of the world. <clears throat> but, you know, sooner or later, those other surrounding landowners may start may start implementing food plots. And over time, you they may slowly see less and less deer on that property. And they're just kind of complacent in their management strategy. And they're not even realizing it until five years down the road. And, and they're looking back, wondering, well, what happened? Oh, you know, yeah. and if you continue working towards that, towards that tier three, start implementing these habitat strategies that we'll talk about and just just stay ahead of the ball game definitely definitely um but let's let's dive into to tier three 70 percent potential exhibited let's say of of what these farms can can do um so criteria for tier number three Bedding is distinct and appropriately managed with fire herbicide and mechanical reductions. So not only is, is bedding in place, it's being managed appropriately. Um, and, and they're going back in to, to keep things managed well. Um, the food plot program is diverse, well-managed, and laid out appropriately. Um, so it, you've got you've got diversity across the across the property with you know, perennials, annuals, um, it's being well manicured, um, taken care of, soil amendments done. Um, it's it's laid out in a fashion that, um, you know, food plots aren't competing with one another. Um, your access is, is good and solid to those food plots. You've got probably, um, you've got destination food plots as well as a balance of um, strategically located kill plots. Um, that are in conjunction with that distinct bedding mentioned in the first point. Um, that's that's a that's what that's the type of food plot program that we're talking about here. TSI is actively taking place, um, and and you're using prescribed fires frequently to then manage that TSI as well, uh, or or your woodlands that you've been created. So we're we're not only implementing the the farm, let's say. Um, and the tactics were, were managing it well, you know, in, in addition to that, um, you've got an early successional base of vegetation. It's present. Um, and in addition to that, you've got invasive species that are actively being reduced. So you're, you're taking care of invasive species as well as just the overall management. So not only have we implemented a lot of sound principles in a tier three farm, we're managing them and and keeping them as such. Um, and then that hunting strategy we're typically going to see in a tier three or four farm is you are regularly harvesting four and five-year-old bucks. Antlerless deer are being removed, but it needs more attention. So you've got, you've, you've seen this increase in a farm and its potential, the carrying capacity that the numbers of deer have, have bumped and you're doing really good at the implementation and the, the farm management side of things. But I, I would say tier three, I, I still see herd management lacking in the overall 
in, in the overall strategy, let's say, um, and, and, and actually National Deer Association came out with an article, I think is talking about like the, the rise and unbalance of, um, adult age, uh, excuse me, adult, uh, sex ratios. So, so buck to doe ratios in a lot of States, um, in a lot of States, like we're going backwards here. And so th this is, this is a, a key point. Like we're seeing this as well, where you, you've got your, your expectation is like, I'm doing all this work and I want to see a lot of deer, but you're, you're overcrowding too. Like you, you don't have that balance between the land management and the herd management. You've got a really nice property and you're hunting it well and you're getting away with it. But the herd management still is, is just not quite, it's not quite where it needs to be. And um, your attention is probably focused heavily on the harvesting of the four and five-year-old bucks because that whole mindset of of balancing adult sex ratios hasn't quite hasn't quite gotten there. And so you're letting a lot of those walk when you should be targeting the fire out of them. Yeah, you see it, actually see this pretty common. So you, the habitat gets, has so much more carrying capacity. Yes. Um, that that all, all of a sudden you're holding more deer, you're holding the neighbor's deer. That's the whole intent. You're, you're protecting deer on your place. Uh, reproduction rates even may go up if the nutrition changes drastically. Um, you might have more twins than single fawns being born and and uh, so we yeah we see this commonly and i get it uh it's hard to say okay i'm i'm doe hunting this weekend right and i find myself well man what if man there i saw a good buck on camry yesterday morning what if he comes in yeah it's not the rut yet maybe it's still october but you know, he could be following 30 minutes behind her or something, or I don't know. And I don't want to sling an arrow right now and kill a doe. And then next thing I know, I'm in the middle of the rut. And I mean, we all get it, but you got to find time to work on the antlerless deer um, because it's going to go up. The population is going to go up. And then that's social stress. There's some people maybe listening to this thinking, well, who cares? Whatever. Well, they're going to put nutritional stress on other deer. Right. If if we don't have surplus forage yet, they're going to put social stress on other deer. You know, they'll bully groups of does will bully bucks out of certain places. And I mean, the, this whole thing goes round and round. So mm -hmm. I'm actually going to my Kansas farm. The season archery season closes December 31st. I'm, I'm leaving today that we're recording this late December. And I'm I'm going to try to kill a doe while i'm over there i mean that i'm going over there to do some habitat work but i'm gonna try to sit in a tree stand and, and shoot another doe so this yeah. has to remain important um, throughout the season find times to make it happen i think that too as you were saying that <clears throat> i often see people in a tier one or a tier two because they're nervous to start the habitat management side of things, they begin to try and over manage the herd. What I mean by that is they start to find and pick apart reasons to start shooting bucks, right? Oh, he's a goofy antler deer. He's a this, he's a that. He's, he's just an eight pointer and 
So I'm I'm gonna shoot him. He, he might be a three year old, but he's he's not a framed up like ten. He's he's not gonna be anything. Um, you know he's he's got poor genetics, this and that. Well, if the farm's operating at a twenty five percent, my gosh, what chance does he really have? Why are you plucking him off and making an excuse at, at at a at a younger age? Are you thinking he's he's an inferior deer? He hasn't grown up in jack squat. Um, I see people trying to advance themselves, let's say in a, in a herd management strategy and, and really an antler deer management strategy, um, providing themselves excuses early on in the tiers one and two, when, when the herd itself is not nearly developed enough to ever be making those types of decisions, period. And I'm not saying that's even eligible, um, for consideration in a tier three farm period. Like not, you shouldn't shoot something because it's, you think it doesn't have this potential and it, and it hasn't reached that, that four-year-old, five-year-old mark. It's just not, that that's not there at all on, on a basis. Uh, but I see it trying to creep in, let's say way too early and, and provide those, um, excuses in, into that herd management. So I, I, I wanted to add that in, um, as a basis, let's say for what, uh, people might be thinking they're at, let's say. I, I agree, Matt. I mean, I think, you know, if individuals are at that tier one, tier two, and they don't know those next steps, they're thinking about, they're they're trying to figure out anything that they can do to 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 get them down the road and and when you when you've got a gun in your hand and and you're out there it's fun obviously fun to to harvest those deer you know so they so they kind of take those steps it's probably a little bit easier than getting out with a chainsaw and doing some habitat work or or something like that i would agree with you there I just I feel like people people tend to jump the gun early into those into those tiers that seventy percent of people in the tier one to tier two feel like they're more advanced <clears throat> in the realm of of understanding and management within the herd and uh, there there's really just no business basis for those harvesting decisions um, at that point to be to be made. Let's say there's generally and we've covered this extensively in other podcasts you likely don't have enough three and a half year olds that you can afford to lose any in 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 a herd in a population um across vast majority of the country there's 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 pockets where you could um but but 95 percent of people you can't afford to lose a three and a half year old early period and bar none like i i hold really fast to that um to that to that stance and most people think that they're oh it, it's just another one you can't afford to lose one because of harvest regulations hunting pressure around you so on and so forth um so don't make those don't make those mistakes if you're trying to max out the farm if you're if you're caring about where you're at on this spectrum don't don't jump the gun let's say Kyle, anything else before we move to to tier four? No, I think that's that's all good points. Let's let's talk about the the, the top end. 
Let's talk the top end and and what what a small fraction of 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 people are are here um may ever get here and 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 just because this tier is here doesn't mean that that tier is necessarily necessary for you and i i, I want to make that point because um the time the energy some of the expense everything that it takes to manage this top end um it's costly um and i don't mean just just financially um but it is it is costly on on time and management um but a lot of people will experience incredible success if they get to a tier 3 and and i think that that is a is a very realistic point for for the vast majority of people to get to um so with that being said tier 4 is i mean firing on all cylinders just absolutely killing it and grilling it so the criteria <clears throat> we're going to say this is this is 90 to 100% farm potential being reached exhibited but the criteria is actively harvesting mature bucks annually throughout every portion of the season they're not just relying on early season the rut late season every single portion of the season they have the ability to harvest mature bucks they may have a supplemental feeding program and food plots are addressing all the time frames of the year um, they've got destinations and kill pots in place and every single year at every portion of the year there's a surplus of forage produced there's never time that is let's say lacking and, and I'm harping on the food plot in this category, but that is a direct correlation to the amount of native forage that's also being produced. So first and foremost, they've got a ton of base of native production um, in, in their forage, which then allows them to have a surplus of the, the extras, right? The destination plots and the kill plots. There's always a forage supply and never depleted based on their region, based on those time frames of the year and the stress periods. They've got an advanced hunting strategy with excellent access to stand locations, are extremely disciplined in their hunting strategy, and that results in being very effective. So, so they're not only having have an advanced strategy, they're sticking to that strategy and it, it is very well disciplined. Um, and that that would mean not only just going into the places at the right time, the right winds, um, but also going into the right places to harvest those too. So you're sticking to that that disciplined strategy of that's where we go to kill does. It's not super um, interior to the farm. It's good ingress, egress. And and you're you're very disciplined in that. Early successional vegetation is abundant. It's in proper locations. It is burned effectively. So we've got varying stages of early successional vegetation across the board. We've got different um, th those different stages represented. We've got stuff that is recently burned, a little bit more um, mid mid succession before it needs to be burned. And you got others that are on the docket for the next year to be burned. It's all the stages represented, um, and distributed really well across a property. Um, there's a distinct timber management plan and it is actively being executed. So, you know, TSI logging operation, prescribed fire, 
this just again churning of disturbances that are occurring. Um, you've got those varying stages of of succession within that timber management strategy as well. And your antlerless deer removal goals are being met annually with record keeping of weights, et cetera, to have a basis of where the farm is at, um, to see these ebbs and flows from every single year, but you're you're keeping records, you're managing um, the herd in a in a dynamic way that keeps up with those regional changes throughout the year. Um, but you're very much in tune with the habitat and how that's related to the herd itself. <clears throat> and so this is a very, very small fraction of people that are here, um, that will get here. Um, but if you will, the habitat management and the hunting management is in lockstep. That, you know, again, we're clicking on all cylinders. One's not advanced than the other. And you kind of a surge of, oh, we need to shoot. Crap, we got behind. We need to shoot, you know, 15 more does next year. You're you're literally, it's it's a one-to-one. -one. They're operating in, in lockstep. They're in sync with one another um, because you know what's happening and occurring on the farm. And you're in a routine management of the various stages of succession, the habitat that's present on the property. That's tier four farm. What do you guys have to say? Yeah, I think, like you say, this is this is the rare case. Um, it this is this is the heated mirrors, heated seats. This is it. This is tricked out. Um, but don't let that scare you away as a listener, right? I mean, this yeah. this is what we all want to do. I'm gonna I'll tell you right now. My my Kansas farm is not a 4.0 it's not a tier 4.0 i'm probably at a 3.5 there's some things in here that i'm not there yet may never get there just because the layout of my farm certain things i've got some really bad access problems on some stands because my cabin is dead center of a 160 like, yeah. Yeah, yeah couldn't be in a worse spot <laughs> it's great <laughs> it's, it's great for staying there and but access i walk out the door and i'm leaving scent every direction i go you know so um we get it some again this is this is a whole system of there's 3.3s and 3.5s and 3.7s and there's all different levels of this so um but yeah i mean even as a as a land and legacy consultant you know i'm probably a my property's probably a 3.5 a 3.6 i'm doing a lot of these things for sure but there's some that are uh, my food plot, I still got too many deer. My food plots get beat up. I've added food plot acres. Um, so I either got to kill more, more, more does or try to figure out the food issue. Uh, mm -hmm. got tons of early successional stuff. So anyway, we, it's fun to see when they, when they get to this point, it's rare, but it's fun to see when we get a client gets, gets here to a three, five, a three, seven, a three, nine, a four, oh. Yes, like wow, this is this is something we we have oh, yeah. arrived. Yeah, I uh, I was working a farm in Ohio, Brady. You've been there, um, and 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 this this summer as as things were regenerating, um, post logging, post TSI and burning and so on and so forth, and planting, reestablishing a bunch of native, um, 
I, I looked at the client, I was like, you know, I've worked this farm now for probably close to six years. It's changed hands and everything. And um, I looked at him and said, thank you. Like, th thank you for your passion because he, he start he, and he would admit this on the podcast and, and he's been on the podcast before. Um, he had never picked up a chainsaw. The first time I saw him run a chainsaw was the first time he ran a chainsaw. So like started from bare bones basic and, and, and has gotten to um, very high, close to a tier four farm in a short matter of time, poured a ton into it. But I, I thanked him because I was like, it was an example of allowing me to see the progression of the farm and me live out a passion through him and the work that, that he did. Like, it was just like really cool to see all this work come together. Um, and it go through so many stages and then us, um, you know, if you will, sitting on the center of the farm and, and really just evaluating and saying, wow, like look around us, like this is what we've dreamed of creating. Um, I, I, I want to thank you because like I've been able to kind of live out and be a part of this um, process. I'm, I'm, I'm there frequently. And it's like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is the diversity. This is the successional stages that we're all talking about. It was rewarding for me and um, very much so for, for him as well. But like, it's rare. It's rare. And, and I wish Adam was on podcast uh with us this morning he, i'm i'm sure he'll be on the next one um, we'll ask him you know where the woodlands is at too because kyle he'd share that same sentiment um he's talked about it multiple times i'm not gonna speak for him but you know they're they're chad and chad and adam aren't here yet this is where they will operate it at at some point but they're not here yet this is a roadmap this is this is over time you don't stroll up to a farm and, and you just you you rarely, rarely ever buy a farm that's this. Like less than 1% are going to just walk into a farm scenario like this ever, ever. So it's a very small fraction of people who are doing this. Um, and, and so you've got like, this takes time to get to. It takes a, it takes a lot of time. Um, but it's, it's obtainable though, too. Like it, it can, it can happen. Um, seen it happen, work on it and take farms to here. Um, but, but it's, it's rare. Brady, what do you think? No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, obviously we see a lot, a lot of properties and I think about the number of farms that I've seen that are at this tier three and tier four, and it's very few. I've been fortunate enough to, to, to manage a farm, um, in northern missouri for going on four or five years now and and those are one of the landowners like you were discussing it i can't tell you how many conversations i've had telling him <clears throat> how great it is working with him because he just has that conservation mindset i mean to the point that you know as far as a hunting standpoint <clears throat> excuse me he's hunting for different reasons you know he's got grandkids he has you know kids and, and they're he's wanting their success but yeah. just being able to hear the success that his grandkids are having or his kids or you know that's bringing him that's his passion for his property from an overall habitat standpoint tier four all day long the property is immaculate he has 
His neighbors are now calling him, trying to figure out what in the world he's doing because they're seeing more, excuse me, they're seeing more turkeys, more deer than they've ever had before. And they've lived in the area their whole life, you know, and now he's passing that on to them. And from an overall hunting standpoint, they're not harvesting, you know, they could harvest four or five, six year old deer. They're there, but they're out there hunting for the hunt. You know, it's not about the the biggest buck. And he sent me a picture this year. I think it was the antlerless portion hunt, the early one. And they had a trailer stacked up of does. I mean, there was like 10 does on the trailer and they're Mm -hmm. doing their portion there, you know, and then during the, during the firearm season, every grandkid got them a good buck, you know, and for them, that's, that's their passion. That's what they want. And they've taken those steps. So, so, I mean, seeing these tier three, tier four farms, it's, it's very rare, but when you get the opportunity to see it, you're like, man, that's, that's special. That's you, very special. You you know when you're there, mm-hmm. it's something that you haven't honestly seen before. And that's what makes yeah. this podcast so important for people to understand is like, you you don't really just drive down the road and, and see tier three and tier four. Yeah. Like, no. it's, like it's around every corner or every county even has one. Like what what we're trying to do is is really try and create something that most people haven't seen, haven't experienced, don't know that they recognize, could recognize it. They just know that whenever they would show up to a farm like this, that they'd say, yeah, they're they're here. Yeah. Everything, every wildlife <laughs> from from uh, small to big, it, it it is all here. The age structure is here. I could envision it like this. Mm-hmm. This is it. You don't know how to yeah. create. You, you you would probably be able to identify it, but you may not have even ever laid your eyes on before. And that's a weird yeah. thing. Like you'd be able to identify it, <laughs> but you've never even seen it. But you yeah. know it. But that'd be it. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about in tier three to tier four. That that's the cool thing about this farm. You know, like I said, this this landowner is very conservation mindset to the point that. That for, like I said, from a hunting standpoint, he doesn't even plant food plots on his property. He said, Brady, I want everything native. I want everything as if, you know, it's wild. And, and he's having this amount of success on this property. He doesn't have any food plots, not doing any supplemental anything. And the amount of wildlife he's seeing, I mean, you can't drive across the property and not see a grip, a flock of turkeys during the you know during the summer poults and, and just deer everywhere and i believe he's owned it since the 90s very little management since then and last year he saw quail on the property for the first time you know i mean it's just you drive across the property it's very very easy to see the the time and effort that went into it i think that's another good point probably even add in there is, is uh in in this realm of three to four, like you're seeing, you're seeing potentially populations of, of, of animals, just like every aspect of, of wildlife is probably bumping and thumping, um, you know, from rabbits to, um, predators even, which people are like, oh, what? But you've got all the, the, the structure, the vegetation represented that like, you're probably going to see just more game in general, period. 
might be Bob White quail. Um, but, but those are indications that, yeah, you're, you're, you're clicking, you're thumping on, on a lot of good things here. Reproduction, uh, of turkey poults. Like it's, if you're at tier three, you're not, you're not singing the blues of, um, yeah, at, at all of, you know, poor, poor reproduction, let's say, cause you've got the suitable habitat, um, to, to make it happen consistently. You're, you're not subject to, um, let's say what everyone else experiences the, the highs and the lows, you've got a good baseline, let's say um, that, that things, things stay more consistently because of what it is that you've offered on your place. Um, you're not, let's say you're not subject just to good springs with, you know, very little rain on a nesting scenario. Right. Um, so any, anyways, Kyle, any, anything else here um, before we wrap up? Oh, I think this was this was an interesting way to categorize all this stuff. Uh, and hopefully, people kind of understand why we why we did it, and, and uh, to try to help them categorize, wrap their head around. <laughs> uh, it it just makes sense to to be able to, I guess, kind of score your farm, and not necessarily against other farms. It's it's literally just putting a. Um, kind of a score or a category on your own farm and then being able to see where you can progress. Um, I think it's an important aspect in, in the management, in the land management um, journey that landowners go through. This, These are steps the, along this journey. Um, and we, we like to see people progress as fast as possible through it, but it may take 10 or 20 years. That just depends. It's up to it's up to the landowner and how, how hard they're going to tackle this stuff and how far away they are uh, with certain categories. So hopefully it just, yeah. hopefully it made sense and puts it in people's minds where they're at. Brady. No, I, I, I agree with Kyle. I mean, it, it having, being able to, you know, like we've said before, being able to take your property and, and essentially say, you know, we're here, but we want to be here. Here's the steps that need to be taken, the right steps. And given, given you know, like a roadmap where people can get to that point. Um, I mean, that's that's why we do what we do to help individuals get to that, to make their property the best that it can be, you know, with their goals in mind. I, I think I think it's it's pretty cool way to to lay it out for them. Perfect. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there, guys. I, I, I'd love to, love to start as, as Atlanta Legacy start to, um, be utilizing this as common, common verbiage vernacular in, in the way that we describe properties with, with listeners, um, um, that, that, that just becomes a basis of understanding of what kind of farm it is we're talking about. Um, when we say hunting property, man. <laughs> you can obviously tell that things just fall into a very wide spectrum of what that actually is. So hoping that this resonates with listeners, um, guys, we ask that, that you share this with, um, other people because the reason we create it is because I know it's going to be helpful and, um, give people an idea of where they stand, where they don't stand, what's next, what's, what to expect. Guys, we're going to follow this podcast up with strategies to help take people from a tier one to a two, two to a three, and so on. Um, so, so be
be following along, but share this if it resonated with you, if it helped you internalize this, re-listen to it, really determine on where you guys are at. And, and this is going to help you take your farm to the next level um, to improve it, to get you where you want to go. Or maybe you're already there. Maybe you realize that, hey, I don't I don't know if I can take it to a four, but I'd probably, from the sounds of it, be really satisfied with, with a three. But how do I get to that three standpoint? Um, that was the goal. Hopefully it's Hopefully we accomplish that for you. Um, again, we'll, we'll keep bringing this topic up in ways to evaluate, but follow along for, for part two in the coming weeks. And uh, guys, we just, we appreciate everyone listening and following along um, with us this week and uh, be sure to have a happy, happy new year. And hopefully Christmas was, was wonderful for you and your families, but thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you guys here next week. Thank you.